Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. Troy Dean is the campus pastor and an assistant professor at Bushnell University, which Bushnell is one of the organizations we uh, support out of our missions budget. Tell me what a campus pastor is, would you, for a minute when you before you get preaching? Because pe- people might see campus pastor and may not understand what that looks like. Sure, of course. And it's a really unique role. Uh, also, he had Braden in one of his classes. Just yeah. one? One uh, of his classes? Two. Two of his classes. Yeah, both last semester. So if you need any stories on Braden on how well of a student he was, <laughs> please see Troy after the... He did the, great. He's uh, a great student. We met probably five years ago, probably five or six years ago. Yeah. I don't have the exact date, yeah. but Troy and I became fast friends, and he's been a really blessing to us, uh, to Darren and myself and our church, and um, I'm so grateful he's here to preach for us. So, man, let it rip. Thanks. All right. Uh, you got to appreciate, uh, you got a couple of amazing leaders here. So you have Pastor Pooty, right? And Pastor Darren, where's Darren at? Darren, there he is over there. He's got the Aloha shirt on. I saw that. Uh, you have to be just really, really uh, blessed and be thankful for the kind of leadership you have. First of all, piano player this morning, where is this you? Wonderful. Amazing. Um, organ, who, who played over here though? Gene, wow, wonderful. I was just so blessed and like soulful and just beautiful. I mean, just amazing. You're a very gifted uh, uh, congregation. Um, uh, Pastor Daniel uh, is, has what I call an unfair distribution of gifts and talents. Uh, too many things that he can do and Libby, awesome as well. Uh, I'm thankful to be here today. Uh, I, wanted, I always say that when like, a guest shows up to a place, I probably should try to be current with you all of kind of where I'm at. Because not only is there just an exchange of information, right? There is some kind of relationship. And even if we never see each other again, we get to share this time in this place today, right now. Can I get an amen? amen. Right. And, and I try to work really hard at being present where I'm at. Uh, because there are these amazing things that we've been gifted these little things that go up right in front of our eyeballs, right? I, I tell the generation that I get to work with at the university that uh, if they were smart, they would just go into chiropractor care right now. <laughs> I mean, my neck is messed up, and all I did was watch TV, right? Like, I didn't have the TV in my hand all day long, and I'm doing this with my neck, right? Everybody's neck hurt for them this morning, right? Like, I literally watch myself adjust myself, like, half the time throughout the day. And so this generation does that, and what happens is, and I think this is a really helpful, like, perspective for us, that when you are with people, and you pull out this amazing thing, and then you go into this thing, you are no longer present with the people you're with. Everybody say, ouch. So you just left the room. And I'm not saying it's not important to go find information, you're like, oh, I need to look that up right now, I mean, like, it's totally fine. But the moment we go into this screen space, we have become what I think theologians use the phrase, disincarnated. If Jesus came into our space, and I love the way the message version says this, that he put, God put on flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Can I get an amen? And that's why we love Jesus, because Jesus actually walked in this space, and his life was not easy, right? Nobody gave him a reward right? Didn't drive a nice car, 
probably had one set of clothes. Like, he walked into this neighborhood with us. And so we use this phrase of God incarnate. In other words, God with flesh on. But it means more than that. It means God actually present with you and I. It's profound. You could be anywhere you are in life, like figuratively, and physically, geographically, and Jesus is available to you. It's a profound truth. But oftentimes we are disincarnated people because we leave the actual people we're with and go into this places and these tools that we have, electronics. Uh, we had a chance, uh, God relocated us to Eugene, Oregon. Uh, this is my 14th year at the university. God, for some reason, sticks me with like a church and a university almost all the time. In Southern California, where I grew up, uh, when I first got involved in ministry, I was on staff at a, a big church in Southern California, and then I was connected to one of our heritage universities, Hope International University. And then we moved and we were a part of a church plant in kind of like the Rockland, Roseville, like east of Sacramento area. And then I was still a part of William Jessup University, which is one of our heritage universities. And for some reason, then God's like, hey, go north, young man. Uh, and uh, we kind of moved up to Eugene. And now I'm on staff at a university as the campus pastor. I teach in our ministry program. And then I get a chance to love and be loved by lots of congregations. We have a church that I get to be a part of, but oftentimes I'm doing this kind of a thing, just seeing what God is up to, getting a chance to be with people and where they are with God. And so uh, a campus pastor does a lot of the similar things that you would normally see uh, that a pastor does. Uh, we actually have uh, chapel twice a week, and then some weeks it's three times a week because we have a student-led chapel on Wednesday nights. So if you add, if you do the math, that's 78 chapels in seven and a half months. Yeah, I sometimes I go, wow, that's why I'm tired. Uh, and we have to set up and tear down our gym space because our heritage chapel is too small for our growing student body. Everybody say amen? Yeah, so literally the, the joke is, as a, as a church planter by trade, I never got this kind of a thing. This is a gorgeous, gorgeous church, people, right? Like, I never got a chance to do that. I was always setting up chairs, tearing down chairs, sticking stuff into a trailer, and we were setting up and tearing down every single Sunday. That's just the world I get to be in. And so I feel like I cursed the university. Because we showed up, and I'm like, look, we have this cool chapel. It's been here for like a long, long time. We get to be in it. And they're like, oh, we're out of space. We got to set up and tear down the gym. So literally, the students tease that the benediction, whatever I write is the benediction for that school year, the actual benediction is, and thanks for helping with the chairs. <laughs> like, that's how we know the service is over, because we all get up, pick up our chairs, and move them to the chair stack. So we do small groups on campus. We do local outreach. We just went in the last part of September. Uh, 300 plus of us threw on t-shirts that were actually made by survivors of sex trafficking in Cambodia. And while we were doing local good with 30 different nonprofits in Eugene, we were doing global good by supporting and empowering these young women and what they've gone through. So we do that. We also do mission trips. Um, for the last almost, gosh, probably 18 years, I've gone back and forth to the country of Cambodia where some of that work is being fought, um, some of the churches that are a part of, and then we have teams that go all lots of different places around the world as well. So we have global missions, local engagement, we have small groups on campus, chapel, it's a lot. 
And so I'm very thankful to do that. I get to do that with this next generation, right? The generation who is coming through this kind of awkward season, right? We, puberty, we know. Uh, that one's awkward. We all just try to get through it. But young adulthood is, I think, fraught with same perils or maybe more. Like, it's a challenge in our modern world to find your sense of identity, to be able to lean into the sense of calling and what you're supposed to do with your life. And I find our students struggling with a lot of anxiety. And partly it's our fault. Can I just say that? Uh, there is this sense, and uh, I'll say this as a dad. So our oldest son graduated from Bushnell University during COVID. So he got the drive-by graduation. Do you remember, remember that, right? We just kind of like people sitting in their front lawn, and you're just like driving by and going, congratulations, you know, kind of thing, right? Yeah, we had little balloons, and we had food like literally on our front lawn, and then people just drove by. And it was very sweet. It was very kind that people did that. Our middle and youngest son, they're all stacked pretty darn close to each other. That was not a plan, uh, but they were stacked pretty close, and they both graduated this last May. So we have now three graduates, you know, of college, and I'm watching them try to navigate the anxiety and the pressure that they feel. And we've tried really hard as, as parents to say, you get to have the journey, Right? I will sometimes tease with parents as they come to drop off the students at the college, and we'll have this conversation, and then I'll literally talk to the parent in front of the student, and I go, so how, what were you like when you were this age? And most of us are like, yeah, the first joke is like, I was a mess. And I'm like, so don't they get the journey also? Everybody say, ouch. <laughs> right? Because we don't. We think that they have to skip, like, the messiness, and they're just going to become like they know exactly what they're supposed to do and they got it on blast and they're just going to go after it, right? Like we don't, we're not generous with the journey like we were receiving of the journey. And so I tell the students in front of them, you get to have the journey. I hope you don't make the big, big, big mistakes, but it's probably not going to be pretty and it's not going to be clean, but you've got loving people around you to help you walk through that. And here's what I've Here's what I've noticed. I had a chance to teach on our college campus lots of your classes, everything from preaching and justice in the Bible. Uh, right now I'm teaching pastoral ministry. Uh, in the spring we'll teach discipleship in small groups. I do a lot of the practical ministry classes. I've taught Psalms. Uh, we've taught, uh, I used to teach the calling class. So our university is unique in the fact that we have every student who comes to our university have a class on the idea of God's calling and vocation in their life. This I know is a long introduction, but we're going to get right there in just a second. So I ask this almost everywhere I go when I, when I teach. I ask, how many of you are still trying to figure out what God wants you to do with your life? Right? Or what you want to be when you grow up. Can I see any hands on that one? Right? And I always tell students, look around at the age of the folks who just raised their hand. This is a universal question that is never fully answered to our satisfaction and always somewhere in the back of our heart and our spirit is gnawing at us, right? Am I doing the right thing? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Hey, God, am I in the right place? Am I, you know, just tell me, God, and I'll do it. And I always think that's one of the funniest responses. Like, we're like, okay, God, if you just tell me, I'll do what you want me to do, <laughs> right? And then I quickly take people to a passage of Scripture in Genesis where there was this guy named Moses, Moses gets a unique experience around calling. God actually interrupts his life, shows up in a miraculous way, a bush that's on fire but is not burned up, 
a voice speaks from the bush of which Moses knows for a fact that it is God. He actually takes his sandals off, throws them away, and goes, this is holy ground. So this is what every one of us is like kind of counting on, right? Can I see hands? If this just happened, you're like, shrubbery in your front lawn just turns on fire. The voice of Morgan Freeman comes from the bush. And we're like, yes, it is on. What do you want me to do, God? Here's the problem. One of the guys who gets this, by the way, God only did the burning bush one time. It says one time gig, uh, trick, right? One time gig. In the moment, Moses, knowing it's God, has five reasons why he's the wrong guy, it's the wrong time, he doesn't have the gifts, and he should find somebody else to do the job. So why do we think that we have any other response? Everybody say ouch. So God actually does a better deal. He goes, here's the deal. Walk with me every single day. And I'll give you gentle nudges. I'll give you a scripture that will give you some principles on how you can do this. But more than anything else, I will show up in your life as an incarnation God who loves you and will walk with you. By the way, it's way harder. So that's where we're going today. The thing I thought we would talk about is we can talk a little bit about how do we navigate the gap between where we are at and where we would like to be, right? We all have this version in our head and on different days and in different ways, we always kind of have this imagination. I think it's a part of our holy imagination that reminds us that we're not done yet, that there's still more work for us to do or there are things that God seems to have for us and just, it doesn't seem to be present in our life. We're actually, I'm in a season of grieving. Uh, literally the day of uh, orientation. So all these new students show up on our campus. I'm introduced in front of the campus as our campus pastor. I get a chance to meet some families and, and some, some parents. And I need to go outside and have a phone call with a hospice nurse who's sitting bedside with my mom. And I prayed the last prayer that I prayed with my mom. And I actually learned a new prayer on that day that I never had prayed before. And I'm a pastor. Pastor for, you know, years. Okay, anything? And in that prayer, I was like, Jesus, come get her. Her body was in such pain. Her mind was not there because there was some toxicity and some stuff that was going on in her body. And I had never prayed that before. I always pray, you know, you know, be released. Go see, you know, to the eternal rest with Jesus. Homecoming, all those good things, right? And for the first time, I'm like, Jesus, come get her. Because that's what she needed. And so this next Saturday, so a little bit less than a week from now, we will fly down to Southern California. I'll be with my brother and a lot of our family, and we'll do a memorial for my mom. And so I just want you to be current. That's where I'm at. There's a lot going on in my heart and my spirit, even as I'm pastoring and being with you all today. And that's just honest, right? And we can be with each other in that place, can't we? So, in saying that, I want to make an observation that even in a world in which we have so many tools available to us, so many resources available to us, so many of us are still struggling and wrestling with, not still, I would just, we do, with everything from mental health to energy, exhaustion, soul weariness, tiredness, uh, confusion, unsure, uh, sadness, I mean, again, all you have to do is just turn on the news and you just go, what in the world? 
I have a 30-year friendship with Pastor Misha Britson. Met him literally 30 years ago in the southern part of Ukraine. I flew down to Southern uh, California where he was at uh, just a few months ago and met and see, hadn't seen each other for a long time. Misa's church in the city of Melitopol is no more. The army came in, took over the church, destroyed all their documents, and his church is now in 17 different countries, of which when he flew down, actually he flew to Sacramento area, he was there to visit about 25 of his parishioners who made their way to Sacramento through Tijuana. His associate pastor is in France. He still lives in Ukraine and consistently goes out to villages where it is very dangerous <clears throat> to bring food, clothing, medical um, medicines, and all those kind of things. So, I think we carry some of this stuff with us, right? Recent events already named, right? So how do we make it through this? So many of us have uh, listened to this, this phrase about this idea of being, you know, have, you know, have self-care, right? We need to have uh, some self-love in our life. We need to do some good practices that kind of put us back together again. And I think this is helpful. As a matter of fact, I looked this up the other day, and if you want to jump to the slide that has the, yeah, 20 self-care practices, this is from Huffington Post, right? And it, it, let's just look through the list, right? And I think all of us would go like, oh, I need some of that, right? So here's the list. Uh, simplify your schedule, do something that energizes your body, take a long, warm, a long, warm bath. Is everyone doing that one already? Okay. It's cold. Uh, my heating blanket is my friend. Uh, create a gratitude list, meet a counselor, unplug for a day, stretch, do something new, practice mini meditation, dance it out. Come on, where are my dancer people in the room? Come on, let me see. Like he wiggles. All right, good. Uh, write a journal of your thoughts, get quality time with a quality person. I thought that was interesting that I had to qualify that. <laughs> quality time with a non-quality person, that would probably be bad. Uh, be still, practice a full day of Sabbath rest, declutter, do an activity mindfully and slowly, take a walk. We can go through the whole list. And the last one, of course, is most of our favorites. It says sleep. Sometimes I just need to sleep it off, right? But here's the challenge. I think that this stuff, while it is good, will never be enough. Right? And again, I'm not saying you should do this stuff, but it is like the extra to some core stuff that if the core stuff is not happening, this has limited effect and in some ways is not enough. And so our consequences are we are exhausted, overwhelmed, depressed, and sometimes we just want to quit. So here's where we're going today. Here's my kind of big ideas for you, all right? Burnout is not inevitable. Willpower is not unlimited. Living water is inexhaustible, and Jesus is enough. So we'll see if we can follow along and see if I hit all these four things along the way. I first want to tell you a story uh, about a, uh, an experiment that a group did. Now, this is kind of, I'm setting the case, right? I'm setting up the case study for this. We have a passage of Scripture we want to spend some time in, and then I'm going to give you one practice. So I guess for those following along, he knows where he's going. Okay. So there was this interesting study, and it had to do with chocolate chip cookies. Everybody say chocolate chip cookies. Okay, who, who are people in the room who love warm chocolate chip cookies? Where are they at? Okay. All right. It took almost 20 years for my wife offering me warm chocolate chip cookies for her to finally out. 10? Okay, it's 10 years, all right. Uh, 
I will be corrected at momentarily at different times along this message today. And the truth is actually sitting in the front row here. So the, <laughs> the truth is, I don't like warm cookies. Now, here, don't, don't be wrong. I'm eating the cookies. Just not warm. For some reason, I prefer them when they're done, right? They're like cooled off and they're ready for consumption. I know. I, you all just went, he's lost me. He completely lost me. So here's the, here's the experiment, and here's the point. It's going to actually make the second point of our big idea today for us, okay? So they did this experiment. They took some college students, and they told them they're going to be involved in a study about food perception. That's what they tell you. You know, those researchers, they lie, okay? They reported to the lab. They were supposed to report to the lab where this experiment was going to happen a little bit hungry. They had been asked to not eat for at least three hours beforehand. They were led to a room that smelled amazing. You've already there, right? Are you there with me? Smell the warm cookies in the room. Uh, some people are leaving. No, they stay, please. On the table in the center room was two bowls. So two bowls on the table. One bowl had a sampling of those, uh, of those cookies and uh, some chocolate as well. The other one held a bowl of radishes. Everybody say radishes. Right? Like, that's a totally stark difference, isn't it? Right? The researchers had prepped this cover story. Here's what they told them. We've selected some chocolates and some radishes because they have highly distinctive tastes. Tomorrow we'll contact you and ask you about your memory of the sensations. Half the participants were asked to eat two or three cookies, but no radishes. And the other, oh man, they had done something wrong in the world probably, (laughs) were asked to say, hey, you can eat as many of the radishes as you want. Thanks a lot, right? (laughs) Well, it probably goes without saying that the cookie eaters uh, experienced no great struggle uh, eating the cookies, right? Uh, No great struggle resisting the radishes, right? And only eating the cookies. And the other group, despite the temptation, all participants did as they were asked. They either did not eat any of the radishes uh, and they did not sneak a cookie. And that is willpower at work, right? You are faced with a choice, will your willpower work or not? And so at this point, the taste study was actually over, and another group of researchers said, hey, we have a second study that's unrelated to the first. That's a lie. Uh, And we want to find out who's better at solving math problems. And so the next thing that they did, they went into another room, and they were asked to draw one line to connect this geometric shape. Now, here's the deal. It is impossible to do. That's just mean, right? <laughs> like, it's impossible to actually do this task. But here's what they were actually trying to figure out. They were trying to figure out, like, how long would each of these two groups, separately, individually, spend time on this impossible puzzle? Okay? So here is what the answer was. The untempted students, in other words, the ones who got to eat the cookies spent 19 minutes on the task, making 34 well-intentioned attempts to solve the problem. Okay? 19 minutes, 34 times. The radish eaters... Sounds like a dish, doesn't it? (laughs) Oh, you radish eaters. Uh, (laughs) The radish eaters uh, were less persistent. They gave up after only eight minutes, less than half the time of the cookie eaters, and managed only 19 solutions instead of the 34 of the other group. So why? Why this long story about this experiment? The reason why is 
that it goes to tell us that our willpower is limited. It is not, right, inexhaustible. You only have a certain amount of willpower. Now, here's the deal. We all know this. There's people who have greater willpower than others, and then, you know, other people have less willpower. But it always depends on what the context is for that willpower, doesn't it? Right? If you were to ask me to go into that room and resist the warm chocolate chip cookies, guess what? It doesn't really bother me that much. Yeah, I mean, I would rather have a cookie rather than the radish, but it wouldn't really bother me as much, right? So what's the point of this whole thing? The point is this. You run out of willpower around everything in your life, and specifically today around the category of spiritual health and spiritual life quicker than you think. We actually have a limited amount of willpower. And what you exhaust it in, what you use it for each and every day, will determine which things will not have access or have capacity for you to actually be involved with using your willpower. It's the reason why we, some of us have so many different issues around maybe addictions or things we struggle with or reoccurring thoughts, mental health, all these kind of things, because we've lost, we've used up the amount of willpower we have, and now we're basically at the mercy of our own issues and challenges and the things that are drawn into. So, I mean, I think COVID revealed this to us. You know, I think there was this thing that happened in COVID where uh, basically everywhere was saying the same thing. I'm just trying to hold it together, right? There wasn't a lot of thriving. There wasn't a lot of flourishing that was happening that time. Okay, pause for a second, and I want to have a conversation around bad metaphors, bad metaphors. And then we're going to land in our, our cool passage from Jesus. So here's the deal. Oftentimes, when we talk about how much we have energy-wise, willpower, strength, energy, whatever it is, I find that the primary metaphor, the primary image that we have is this one. Fill the tank. Matter of fact, we even say it about church, right? Well, I got to go to church. I got to get my fill up for the week. I got to get encouraged. I got to, you know, fill up the tank, right? And now I use this one on purpose because for most of us, we've lived there before, right? Now, you've lived there in your car before. Where are my people who know exactly how far below E you can get before you start worrying, <laughs> right? Here are my E testers, right? Like, you know the gap. Is it between the white line? Is there, like, how much space is it between that? Like, where are you at? Where are my people who are like, if it gets below a quarter, if you have three quarters of a tank left, you're filling up the car. Yeah, I did. I've seen that my wife is one of those, okay? <laughs> but here's the deal. It is not fun to live life there. Can I get an amen? amen? But how often do we feel in that spot? So the problem is, I think we actually have a bad theology on this. And when I think about theology, I definitely go to peanuts. <laughs> Quick conversation between Linus and his sister Lucy. Now, I know this is a generational thing, but I think it will make sense. So here's what Lucy says. Boy, look at it rain. What if, the, what if it floods the whole world? And, you know, of course, 
Linus is our wisdom, you know, he's our, our, our theologian. He says, it will never do that. In the ninth chapter of Genesis, God promised Noah that he would never happen again, and the sign of that promise is the rainbow. Lucy says, you've taken a great load off my mind. And then, of course, Linus says, sound theology has a way of doing that. <laughs> I just love his confidence, but it's landed in the right place. So for us today, can we spend a few minutes in a passage of Scripture that has so much to say about everything we just talked about, managing the gap between where we're at and where we want to be, living a life feeling like you're on empty most of the time. I want us to look at a passage of Scripture that will tell us and remind us that we don't actually have to live in that space. Can I get an amen? So here's the passage of Scripture. It's out of John chapter 4. Uh, if you do, I don't know, some of you might bring a Bible and you have to like to turn in it and scribble notes. Some of you might use a Bible app, whatever that is. That's all good stuff. I actually color code my Bible app. So even if you were to watch and look at my Bible app, I have highlighted things in different colors. And so if you were to watch that, even my online Bible has that. So here's the passage. John 4. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with, associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, and also did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Take to a quick... do that, you'll need to turn off airplane mode. Wow. <laughs> Matt, it's pretty good when you preach and Siri wants to get involved. Come on, right? Let's go, people. Man, we're on today. Did anything sound like her name? Okay, all right, just making sense. So here's a couple observations quickly in this passage of Scripture, because where I want to land us today is actually a practice that will actually help you get some living water. So here's a couple of my observations. She was genuinely thirsty. Anyone genuinely thirsty? Right? Like she had both a physical need and she had a spiritual need. And don't we all can feel those two things at the same time, right? She was going to the place she thought would solve her thirst. Come on, people. We all know that, right? We thought the answer is there, and we went there, and it wasn't enough. How many different wells do you go to to try to get enough to fill up the tank? and it just doesn't make it. You know, the big difference between taking a day off and having a day of refreshment and rejuvenation. Everybody say amen. We know that, right? 
There's a difference between not doing work and then doing something that restores you and restores your soul. So just because you're not doing something doesn't mean you're doing the other thing. So she went to the well, and she was going to get water, but it was not going to fix the hunger and thirst in her soul that only God could actually fulfill, right? So in the moment, she went to the place she thought would actually solve her thirst. And it makes sense, right? It makes sense. Uh, The list from Huffington Post, it makes sense. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's not going to be enough. Even when she realized it was a spiritual problem, because in the conversation, they had this really cool banter about like, where do you worship here? We worship here. You know, what's your, you know, what's your denomination? Where's your church building? Like they have this conversation and Jesus is like, yeah, it's still not catching my drift here, right? You worship in spirit and truth. It's not about a place. Can I get an amen? Love your building. It's not about a place. Jesus gets to go with you. Come, Amen? Right? So you get to actually do this every single day of the week. Jesus reveals a thirst that her solution cannot solve. And all of us at some point have to own that. What I'm doing is not enough. What I'm working with will never be enough. Your willpower is limited. You can never pull it off by yourself. I'm not saying that God hasn't made you amazing people. He has. He's actually placed his image in you. You have what's called the imago Dei, the image of God in you, and every person that you've ever locked eyeballs with has the same. But that's not going to be enough just to have that image in this life. Jesus reveals a thirst that her, her solution cannot solve and reminds her of her need for something deeper, that she needs transformation something more than what she's been pursuing. And the living water he offers is enough for our soul ache and our spiritual thirst. So let's talk a little bit about gauges. Let's talk a little bit about how we measure things in this life. If you have a fever, you use something like this, right? This is like the new version of it, but here's the thermometer for you, right? Yeah. And we all know that like we're, we used to stick these things, right? Can we just own that awkward season of our life, right? Like, the gun now on the forehead is the one we use, right? Like, it's like, all you got to do is just be within, you know, you know, the range of the little eyeball on, the, on, the, on the, uh, the gun. Okay, this is one we always are familiar with. Now, again, I know it's old school, right? Like, I always feel like going to the doctor. Like, I like, like the little digital one I have, but like this one where they're like literally putting sandbags on different sides of the scale to see how much I weigh. I'm like, that feels a little like mean, right? Like, I don't need to see like how much you have to like balance over here. I, I know they use the digital one too now. And then also, of course, you know, this is the time to do some of these things, right? Money or look at our ledger. Uh, this is how we measure like how we're doing in the day. This one right here. <laughs> anyone right now have current anxiety just looking at the picture okay <laughs> like where am i constant like i got extra batteries in my back pockets for this thing kind of thing okay and again of course this one this does not help us to actually gauge how we're doing with our soul so can i offer today a better what I think is a more helpful metaphor rather than the gas tank for our spiritual life. 
Pharisees and scribes used external measures at the time. They used dietary laws, Sabbath, circumcision. Nobody was interested in that one. Scripture. These are all things that we use to gauge how are we at, where are we at. And if I were to ask the question of you today, what external measures do we use to gauge our own flourishing in church? And we could have that conversation, right? You could turn to the people next to you and go, like somebody is mature in this church because, and you would fill in a blank. And you would have some kind of, usually, external measure to see how that's doing. All these seem like typically positive people. Man, they have a great knowledge of scripture. They're consistent in their giving and going to church. They seem to reach out to their neighbors. They like to share the gospel with people. We all have these gauges. But can I remind you, in John chapter 4, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. What if? The primary gauge of our spiritual health and our spiritual life and our flourishing is asking, are you hydrated with living water? What would it look like if our primary way of describing this? And so honestly, it's going to sound funny. It sounds very practical. But I'm going to tell you all today to do this. Stay hydrated. Stay hydrated. Now, again, let's back up and ask a question about hydration, right? Because we all know what it means to be dehydrated, right? Matter of fact, I know traveling around the world in a lot of different places that I go, one of the greatest causes for people's, uh, their illness and unhealth is hydration. Access to water. Something that we don't even take, we take for granted in most of the world today. Unless you live in places like Flint, Michigan. Or Junction City. Or places like that. We all of a sudden realize that, wow, hydration matters. And to be dehydrated is not just to be in a place of dis-ease, but it's in a place of, like, detriment. You just can't just go grab, you know, a, a bottle of Gatorade and then all of a sudden be hydrated again. It takes a while to get your body back to a place where you're actually back at a good equilibrium. So when you are dehydrated, it's not just because you didn't have a couple of drinks today. It's that you've lived in a pattern in a way that has consistently built upon it the opportunity for you to be dehydrated. And now you're in detriment. It's going to take a while to get back. So fun story. Uh, I was in college at the time, and I had a buddy of mine. Uh, his name was Mike Perez, and Mike would love you to know that I tell this story about us. Uh, he had just transferred from a college, in, a college in Colorado and was coming to a college in California. And he said, hey, Troy, would you go with me on a road trip to go pick up a bunch of my stuff in Colorado and bring it back to California? And all I heard was the word road trip, and I'm like, yeah, right? Like at that time, it was all about road trips. It's like get in the car and drive. Now, it's a quite a drive from where we were in Southern California to where he was in Colorado, and there's a stretch of road, multiple stretches of road, where there are these unique signs that say things like this, no gas for 42 miles. Next gas, 900, no, 93, whatever the miles is, right? Well, of course, we're two young guys just having fun, listening to music, and just chatting away, and we just blow by one of those signs. And at some point on the road, like we're in those places where like they make like horror movies about, like where you like pull over and like people come out of the hills after you. Like we're in one of those places where we're like, there is nothing here. If we were stuck here, we would die. Ravens would eat our eyeballs. I don't know why that always comes to my head. It does. It's just a weird thing. And so we're realizing we have no idea 
how far we are to the next gas station. And Mike is looking at the gauge, and he goes, this is where I panic. He's at that place below E where he knows that, like, it's super close to not having any more gas. And so we did with what any young Jesus followers would do at that time. We immediately took the cassette tape out of the tape deck and put in Christian music. <laughs> I kid you not. Amy Grant, that's one of your favorites, right? Name one of your favorites, right? Yeah, Michael W. Smith, there you go. That's another one. Yeah, I actually really like the Altar Boys, which is like a punk rock Christian band, but that's a whole other conversation. So we're like oh, singing songs and like praying to Jesus that he would get us to the next place. And sure enough, by God's amazing grace, we like roll off of this little off ramp and as we're rolling up to the apron for the, for the gas station, we run out of gas literally on like the little driveway as we're going up. And God sent an angel for us. He got off of his motorcycle with his leather jacket and helped us push the car. I mean, he said, hell's angel, but he was really an angel for us on that day. And got us to the gas station. And if I were to tell you that we put a dollar into the gas tank, <laughs> what would you say to me? <laughs> what are you doing, right? You're just creating the problem all over again. Now, wait for it. Isn't that how we do our spiritual life? <laughs> we're on E. And we hopefully take like one of those advice things from the Huffington Post, some self-care, a day off, or whatever it is. But most of the time, all we're doing is putting a couple more dollars in our gas tank. Then the same anxiety, the same exhaustion, the same overwhelm, the same worry and challenges are still right there. And Jesus goes, hey, if you knew the gift, and if you knew the one who you could ask, and he would give you, ask and he would, there is no lack of confidence in what he says. And he would give you living water. And so what does it look like? We're going to skip forward in some, some slides. My, my good friend back there is helping me out. And I want to ask a question. What does it look like for us to find the pattern of Jesus in this. Now, a number of years ago, and some of you will remember this, we wore these bracelets that said WWJD on them. Anyone remember the bracelets? That, yeah, what does that stand for? What would Jesus do? And I, I always had a strange reaction to that. Because for a person who is like a teacher, a pastor, I always thought, you don't need to know what would Jesus do. All you need to know is what Jesus did. Can I get an amen? So I like changed my bracelet. I like scratched out one of the W's. I'm just going to like, I'm just going to do what Jesus did. And if I do what Jesus did, then I don't need to know what he's going to do because he's already done it. And that's what I probably should do. Now, I'll land with this today as the practice for you to take away. We have this amazing sermon in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Everybody say Sermon on the Mount, okay? And it's profound. It's got wisdom in it. It's got practical stuff. Uh, a lot of it is a little bit up here for me. Like, I have to, like, like the Beatitudes, like, I got to live in that space to kind of figure out what's going on. In the book of John, instead of a Sermon on the Mount, Jesus holds a class in the upper room. 
So it's John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 7. So instead of three chapters of a sermon, he's got five chapters of a class. And if there's anything you hear today, I would encourage you to think that it's probably the five chapters of the class in the upper room that will give you the power and the capacity to live out the Sermon on the Mount. You would say amen. So Jesus held a class and he said, here's how you could live this life. And what I think today is that staying hydrated equals abiding in Christ. That's what it is. Staying hydrated is the same thing. Like if you abide in Christ, that is how you get living water, and that's how you can walk each and every day with more capacity than you have where your willpower will end and what you actually have something to bring into that space. And it's not just you. It's the Holy Spirit with you in that moment. That's good news. You don't have to live in that E space. You have living water. If you knew the gift and you asked, he would be glad to give it to you. The Apostle Paul in Philippians describes what this is like. He, he's kind of like describing for us in his own words what it feels like to have living water and why it's so important to go to Jesus and abide with him. And here's what he says in Philippians 3. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them, everybody say this word with me, garbage. Anything else that you're trying to replace the living water with in comparison to Jesus is actually garbage. As much as it might be helpful and good and at times practical, in comparison to living water, there is no comparison that I might gain Christ. Last silly illustration and then I'll pray. Many, many years growing up, my mom, uh, so the mom, I get to celebrate this next weekend. Um, uh, her name's Myrna Dean. Myrna is my mom. Um, my mom was a, what I call, like a rock star single mom. Parents got divorced when I was very young. I was a latchkey kid, so I'd show up home after school with a key around my neck, let myself in, do my homework, watch too much TV, live in the tree in the front yard. That's basically what my childhood looked like, Okay. My mom would always have, you know, whatever we could afford at that time. And at that time, we just, they had just come out with this crazy thing called a microwave. Now, this microwave is like the size of like a mini refrigerator, okay? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I think there's a squirrel in there trying to do something with radiation. I don't know. I probably glow when I sleep, so I don't know what it is. And we would have microwave popcorn. It's one of the first inventions of anything for a microwave, right? Hot dogs, microwave popcorn. So I got pretty good at it. Like I could actually do the popcorn. And I knew exactly how long it needed to be in there. And I would either have like maybe one or two non-pop kernels, but then none that were actually burnt. I got skills, people. I got skills. And then I got married. We went to the movie theater. And then for the first time ever, I bought movie theater popcorn. And like you all do, we go, layer it, please. Like, basically, I want butter, you know, the butter, you know, uh, in, the, in the bucket, and then you can throw some kernels in there if you want, right? I'm just going to drink it, kind of thing, right? But here's the joke, right? But here's the deal. I now can't eat microwave popcorn. Why? 
because I had the really good stuff, right? The really good stuff is now ruined, something that is fine. It's okay. It does some of the job, but it is no way the same as the comparison to the movie theater popcorn. I hope that today, in everything you're sorting and sifting in your own life, the tragedy, the joy, the worry, and the concern, the anxiety, the sadness, the loss, that today you'll go to the better water and stay hydrated, which means what? Just keep sipping. That's how you stay hydrated. It's not just a Sunday only thing. Every day of the week, just keep sipping. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.